Well, good morning, uh, church, and happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. And I also want to say uh, a special happy Father's Day to all of you men of God who have chosen to step up and be spiritual fathers in our community and in our uh, city and in our nation. Um, man, it's powerful. Studies actually show, I uh, heard this a couple weeks ago, that one child uh, in the course of their lifetime will impact or interact with over four, between 40 and 80,000 people. Between 40 and 80,000 people. That puts uh, in perspective. So you men, when you invest in your own children or uh, a, a nephew or a niece or you're, you're mentoring someone that doesn't have a father in their life, just put that in perspective. You're not wasting your time. You're investing in 40,000 people through that one uh, person. Um, and so we just want to say we really appreciate you and, and just thank you uh, for, for, man, just doing what you do. 1 Corinthians, it, it reminds me of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul uh, said this, For though you have countless guides in Christ, for us that would be like, you know, people you can listen to on a podcast or you can read their book or you can watch their how-to video on YouTube, someone's just kind of uh, giving you some direction. He says, you do not have many fathers, those who walk with you, those who flesh and blood in front of you, those who model Christ's likeness, those who are involved in your life, those who speak into your life, invest into your life and help you. And he's saying, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I love this. I want to just give you a little, men, a little vision this morning. Uh, Paul said, Paul did not have uh, biological children that we know of. Um, but he said that he became father in the gospel. And if you have received the gospel today, then you are a spiritual father. That's what that means. Uh, that you are a spiritual father um, and, you, and you can actually impact the generations to come. And then he says, you know, so I urge you then be imitators of me. Uh, someone today is looking up to you, whether you realize it or not. And so I just want to encourage you with that. We're so thankful for all of you blessed uh, by the many spiritual fathers we have in this community. I mean, I could just, like, think of so many. You know, Clint Justice, Donnie, Matt, uh, Matt Schaub, Matt Esparza, who serves in our kids' ministry every week, uh, Joe Florence, Terry Morris. I mean, we go on and on. I list hundreds uh, of you guys, and, and we're just so thankful for you. We want you to know we love you. We're thankful for you. We honor you, uh, we need you, and uh, so happy Father's Day to you guys. Amen. All right, for those of you whom I have not met yet and had the privilege to drink some coffee and have a good conversation, my name is Jeremy West. I'm a worship pastor here at our church, and I do a few other things as well, and I'm just excited to share God's word with you guys this morning. It's going to be uh, a great morning. I'm really excited for what God has for us, and maybe uh, we can get to that cup of coffee soon enough. Um, we're in the middle of a preaching series called Right Side Up. You can see it on the screen here. I love that little kind of, you know, the reflection of the water. I don't know what's going on there, but right side up, okay? One time, side note, I did a puzzle. Uh, my parents bought us a puzzle that was like, like that. It was a mountain with a lake, and it was the most confusing thing I've ever seen ever. I'm like, which side am I... I got lost. Okay. So right side up. And, and what this is all about, what we've been talking about, we've been looking uh, at teachings and life of Jesus in the book of Luke, right in the middle of the book of Luke uh, in chapters 11 and 12. And we're seeing time and time again that Jesus, his kingdom is an upside down kingdom from the ways of this world. It's an upside down kingdom from, uh, compared to the ways of this world. In fact, some of the things that he says, quite frankly, just don't even make sense when you're thinking about it through the lens of our secular culture and the way that our secular culture's framework for happiness and for fulfillment and for purpose and for meaning and for satisfaction. In fact, some of the, the teachings that he is giving us are completely countercultural. They're completely other than, both in his day and in our day. Um, but we see time and time again that his ways are good. And his ways are fruitful, and his ways lead to life, and his ways lead to true purpose, and true meaning, and true satisfaction, and true fulfillment, and it comes with no regret, and it comes without anxiety, and it comes without fear. 
And so I encourage you both today and just in the days to come as we dive into God's word, please, please, please pay attention. Listen, receive these words, ponder it in your heart and apply them to your life. Man, well, speaking of application, uh, I was thinking this week of my children and uh, I want to invite you to think of your own children. If you have children or maybe a niece or nephew or maybe someone you babysat for, one of the first words that children learn to apply after maybe dada or mama is the word close. Mine. 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 Um, if you came to my house uh, at, at some point, I've got four children, and you might find, like, the scene in Finding Nemo with all the seagulls, you know? Mine, 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 mine. And, and that's kind of like the, the echo in my house, like, mine, that's mine. Okay, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably sure, actually, that you don't. Um, for those of you, you know, have kids, niece, and nephew, you can't relate. Your child's first word was contentment, right? <laughs> contentment, mama. Or something like that. When you take your kids to the grocery store, they just go down the aisle. They're sitting in the cart, and they just look at everything. No, Mom, I don't want candy. I don't want to bother you today while we're at the grocery store. Uh, no, that toy aisle, you know what? Let's go get vegetables. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. That's not, that's not uh, how my family goes. So, so in case that is your reality, let me just give you a picture of what goes on in our home. Uh, on any given day, I can, uh, you know, I come home, my wife, bless her heart, is there all day. Um, and so this is like on repeat. But uh, we hear some screaming kind of coming from our playroom, screaming, maybe some yelling, and then it's followed by, Elam, that's mine! Jara, that was mine! I had it first! No! Ha! My castle's bigger than yours! Or something like that. And we run in and we're like, okay, guys, hey, just calm down, everyone. Is Jaira in here? Oh, yeah, there he is. So I'm, I'm embarrassing him already. Uh, we, we talked about it. I don't talk about my kids when I'm preaching without talking with them about it first. So he knows this was coming. So, um, so this is when we, we have this talk, right? And we, we've got a, a Bible verse. You know, we just get a Bible verse for everything, right? Because, Yeah. We just want them to know what uh, Jesus is saying. And so our verse uh, is Psalm 89.11. I think we have it on the screen maybe for you. The heavens are the Lord's, the earth is also his, and the world and all that is in it. And so we, we kind of pull this out, and we're trying to help them grasp this value of you know, sharing, stewardship, and loving one another, being generous. And so, so with Jaira, the oldest, uh, we, we do this thing, I say this verse, and then we go, okay, Jaira, so whose house is this? Think about it for a little bit. Whose house is it, Jaira? God's. Oh, it's God's house. Okay, all right. How about that refrigerator over there? Whose refrigerator is that? That's God's refrigerator. Okay, that's God's refrigerator. And then we point to the toy in question. Who's, what, whose toy is that? Hey, you and Elam were fighting over Whose toy is that? And he kind of thinks a little bit like, God's toy. Oh, yes, yeah, it's God's toy. And God's sharing it with you. And so you can share it with someone else, right? And so we go through and we throw in some funny ones. You know, whose toilet is that in the bathroom? And they laugh. And God's toilet. I said, you went to the bathroom on God's toilet? God's even sharing the toilet with you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so we go through this thing, and we're learning. We're making progress. And, and soon uh, enough, this was uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, man, I was like, we're making so much progress. This is great. This is awesome. And then this happens at his brother Elam's birthday. Happy birthday to you. I don't know where that hand came from. That was, I think, the hand of God. <laughs> it's the hand of God. Just kidding. It was actually my hand. I saw that coming from a mile away. This is dad, father, cat-like speed and reflexes. And um, 
Well, anyways, so we had a good laugh about that. He's laughing right now. I showed that video. Um, yeah, that hand kind of gently coming over. Um, you know, but what, what I don't always see coming from a mile away is when God does that to me. <laughs> when God does that to me because I'm running headlong into greed or maybe I'm running headlong into selfishness or I'm running headlong into covetousness or something like that, and, and the hand of God just kind of goes, hmm, Jeremy, what are you doing? I'm like, whoa, wait, what, what just happened? You know, sometimes I get caught up in that idea that... Um, that happiness is going to come from my possessions. Or when I see something else, or some, uh, someone else that has something that I want or that I feel like would give meaning to me, and the gentle hand of God comes and corrects me. Whether you're a Christian or not, we know this is hard. This is hard. Whether you're a Christian or not, or whatever age you are, whatever even socioeconomic place you come from, we can relate with this, this, this nagging desire, this constant desire for stuff. And we actually live in a culture that never says, oh, enough. Yeah, we've got enough. Like that said no one ever, you know, on TV, right? No commercial ever says, hey, you know what? You're, man, you don't need anything else. No, that's not the culture we live in. In fact, every time you wake up, you turn on the TV, you get on Instagram, uh, you drive down 635 or 75, there is a bombardment of ad advertising. There's a bombardment of messages coming at you, information coming at you, assaulting not your needs, assaulting your emotions, right? Assaulting your emotions because you don't have what everyone else has yet, in the secular culture that we find ourselves in, in this day, in this hour, actually has a systematic strategy. It's called consumerism that seeks to get this, to create, to cultivate, to foster in you and in me a desire for more things. That there is an agenda, even in our culture, to get you to think about what you don't have yet. To think about the next thing, the bigger thing, the better thing, the faster thing. To complement the other thing that you have. And it's coming at us from every direction. All promising what? What's the promise? That this will lead you to experience the good life. This will be where you can find abundant life or a satisfied life. And many both Christians and non-Christians, as this has gone on for the last several decades, are, are kind of starting to wake up that it doesn't work. I finally got that thing that I wanted, and why am I still, I still feel the way that I did. It's not working. And in fact, with all the advancements and all the products and all the stuff and all the, the connectedness and the information, relationships are suffering Relationships are suffering. The family is kind of breaking apart. Dads who've worked themselves to the bone to buy something for their children are surprised and perplexed why their children aren't happy. People are more depressed, isolated, and angry than ever. Uh, PhD psychologist David Myers, he's done extensive research on this kind of in the last several decades, last uh, four decades, so 40 plus years, uh, and he said, and he's kind of concluded with this, and I quote, are becoming much better off as a culture over the last four decades has not been accompanied by one iota of increased subjective well-being. Let me break that down. He's basically saying that over the last four decades as our culture has advanced and as um, it, it, it's, it, we've become much more better off for whatever that means, it's not been accompanied by one iota of increased well-being where people are happier, more fulfilled, more satisfied, more content, more free than before. But you know, this isn't just a 21st century problem. It's not a 21st century issue. It's not an American issue. It's a human heart issue. It's a human heart issue. And it's been an issue long before us. Uh, even in the days of Jesus, this tension 
what was going on in the lives of people. They too were seeking for the good life. And I'm so thankful, and you should be too, that Jesus cares about us, and that he loves us, and that he's for us, and that he came to us to set us free from this bondage, from this sin, from the anxiety accompanied with it, that he came to do this and to bring life so that we could experience the true abundant life. And in a conversation with a group of people, Jesus begins to speak to this tension and this question. We're going to look at it, Luke chapter 12, verse, starting in verse 13. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to be reading from uh, the ESV this morning. Um, so if you have an NIV or different version, just follow along. Y'all ready? All right, let's go. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That sounds like the yelling coming from my playroom, if I'm going to be honest. Hey, that's mine. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's mine. I had it first. Give it to me. And we don't know what the exact circumstances are of this person yelling this out to Jesus. Um, but we can, we can kind of guess. I mean, he's obviously wanting something that he doesn't have. In that day, in that culture, uh, the civil law stipulated that, that the oldest brother, the firstborn, actually got a double portion of the inheritance, and then the other brothers got a, a split-out uh, portion. So this guy might be the younger brother, and he's, you know, yelling at Jesus, hey, Make it fair. Jesus, he's, he's, he's trying to get Jesus to intervene in this situation. Uh, verse 14, but Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And the, the answer is, is no one. <laughs> no one did. No one did. Jesus was not a civil judge. He did not come to be a civil judge or an arbitrator or a divider or a lawyer that kind of writes up the papers and make, that's not what he came. He didn't have that authority from God. He didn't have that authority from the state, that he, uh, from the nation that he even lived in. And so he's just going to kind of stay out of it, sort of. <laughs> uh, he's going to go for something actually very different. What he's about to say is worth the price of admission. And it's why you came to church this morning and you didn't even know it. All right? It's why you're here. You got up this morning. You didn't even know it. This, is, this next sentence this is why you're here this morning, why God has you here. Listen, verse 15. And he said to them, to these brothers, take care. Take care. That means be concerned. Pay attention. Open your eyes. Wake up. Ponder this. Apply this. This is important. And be on your guard against all covetousness. What is covetousness? Covetousness is, is having or showing a selfish desire for wealth and possessions. I repeat, a selfish desire for wealth and possessions. Covetousness is not the desire to have a successful business and make money. That's not covetousness. Covetousness is the selfish desire for wealth and possessions. For yourself. All about you. It's a misplaced, it's a disordered, it's a chaotic desire. And Jesus says, guard against it. Why? Because this next sentence. For one's life, their well-being, your fulfillment, true happiness does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus comes and he turns this whole thing right side up. Right side up in the midst of a world that says, you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled, you'll have meaning, people will like you, you'll have more friends, you'll be cooler, you'll get more likes. If you have wealth and possessions and you spend it on yourself, Jesus' words just kind of cut right through that like a knife. In fact, his word is a sword. No, be on guard. Your life does not consist and wealth and abundance of your possessions. Now, note, I want to, um, this may be risky here, but I, I, I want to attempt to define abundance. Because when I say abundance, it's kind of tricky. 
for us. Because if I ask, hey, who in here's had an abundance? You know, probably a few might raise their hand, but many would kind of go, I don't know. You know, like sometimes there's the end of the month is coming and there's not money at the end of the month. And, and we're kind of wrestling, you know, maybe through that. Uh, and so most of us maybe never feel like we have an abundance. And that's actually part of the deception going on here. I'd propose with good reason from scripture. I'm not going to like try to prove this to you. I'm just going to say it. The abundance of possessions is being defined as anything uh, beyond kind of our basic human needs. Basic uh, human needs. So food, clothing, uh, water, shelter, health tools and supplies needed to work a job uh, and make a living, you know, anything beyond these, I think, begin to move into the realm of abundance for us. So you're going, Pastor, does that mean Netflix is not a human basic need? I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not. If you follow John Christ, check your heart. <laughs> okay. So you can do that. Um, but let's, let, let's just keep reading and see what he says. Verse 16, Jesus is going to share a story, a parable, to explain what he's saying um, to these brothers. He says this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Okay, awesome. He's blessed. He's got a bonus. Business is going well. Praise God. That's awesome. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. You know, abundance always comes with a question. What do I do with my abundance? What do I do with abundance? And that's where this guy is at. He's, what am I going to do? I, got, I have more than I need, and so I have abundance. What, what do I do? You know, maybe he's going to start by giving thanks. Maybe he's going to you know, man, God, thank you for the blessing this year. Wow, I mean, this is like, I didn't expect this. God, thank you. What, what should I do with this, God? Maybe he's going to ask God for, for direction of what to do with his abundance. Or maybe he's going to give some to the poor. Or maybe he's going to support something in his community. Or maybe he's going to um, um, think of a creative way to invest in, in a kingdom opportunity around him. What's he going to do? And listen carefully. If you did listen carefully, you can kind of hear already the tone of anxiety in his question. Can't you? The tone of anxiety in his question. You would think that abundance would solve the issue of anxiety, but it doesn't. It doesn't. His question is loaded with anxiety. What shall I do? I don't want to lose it. What shall I do? And he said... This is what he concludes. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Notice the emphasis on my. My. Technically, it's God's, but from this parable, technically, it's the land's. He didn't do anything. He just had the land. God sent the rain. God made the crop grow. God provided for him. And now in his thinking, he's saying, my grain, my goods. I'm not a steward. I'm an owner. I got to figure out how to keep it for myself in case I need it. And I want to give you a little example, a little prop here. This is what's going on with this guy. Say this uh, cup is, is, uh, is this guy's life, all right? And God begins to provide for him, and it fills up to the top, and it's going to get to the point of where it starts to overflow. And he goes, oh, what do I do? I don't want it all to go to waste. And so his decision is to just get a bigger cup. Pour it in there, and now we have room to spare. And we can pour some more, and I have an abundance and I can keep it for myself. The question is, why would he do this? Why? Let's just think. Why would he do this? Maybe he's still thinking about others. Let's, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's still thinking like others. After all, Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 41, right? What's he do? He gets a word from God. There's an abundance. They build bigger barns. And they store it up. 
They store it up for years of famine to come. And it meets the need of an entire nation and other nations. Because of his wisdom, he does the same thing. So maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's thinking, I'm going to store it up. And then I, the day will come and I can be the hero in the story and, and be the one that, that saves God's people and provides for other people. Maybe he's going to be strategic like Joseph. But the motivation of his heart is totally uncovered and revealed in the next line. Look at it. Verse 19. I will say to my soul. Now he's got self-talk going on. I will say to my soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, forget not his benefits. No, that's not what he says. I will say to my soul, soul, don't be downcast, hope in God. No, that's not what he says. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's trying, maybe, he's trying to accumulate and store up material things to satisfy what? Not needs. I would argue retirement's good. You're saving up to, to take care of needs. That's not what he's doing here. He's, he's storing up for his soul. Not for his body, for his soul. There's a difference, friends. He's trying to accumulate things to satisfy something on the inside. He's using material things and things from the outside to fill a void on the inside. His inner being, the internal part of his being. That's what it appears he's doing. And if you've ever tried to fill the void of your soul with other stuff, you know it doesn't work. Or you'll soon find out. It doesn't work. It leaves you empty and still wanting the epidemic of our culture. I have, but I'm still not satisfied. I want more. I want more. And it's about to get worse for this man in this parable, verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. That means he's dying. His time is up. His mist of life is gone. And in that moment, he hears the most horrifying, terrifying words of his life. God Almighty looking at him square in the eye and saying, fool. I can't think of a more horrifying situation than God Almighty looking at me and saying, Jeremy, you're a fool. Not well done. Not well done. Fool, fool. And he says, in these things you've prepared, whose will they be? And the irony of the parable, if you read it closely, is that the answer to the question in Jesus' parable is standing right in front of him. Two brothers who had just received an inheritance from a dying father. Two brothers who had just received an inheritance from a father that recently died. And we don't know for sure, but it's quite possible that the fool, the rich fool in this parable that Jesus is sharing might be a picture of these guys' father in the story. And what we see is that the legacy, the inheritance of this man because he walked in greed, selfishness, it was all about himself. Now here come his boys, selfish, greedy, thinking all about himself, themselves. And this story, friends, that question, whose will they be, it's not just like what name is on the will. It's deeper than that. What kind of person is on the will? What kind of person did you leave behind you with all of the Ways and time that you spent your life. I wasn't going to preach this morning too strong, but I have to. Fathers in the room. Let me just talk to you for a second. The legacy and inheritance that this man left was a bunch of material goods to kids that were selfish. Still, they had his values and his stuff. 
And Jesus ends his parable with a question, especially to us in the room, who are fathers, biological or spiritual fathers. What inheritance, what legacy am I leaving to the next generation? How are my life choices training the next generation? Covetousness, greed, selfishness, or generosity, servant heart, and focus on the kingdom of God? Whose will they be? Verse 21, so is the one, Jesus says, in summing it up, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And with these kind of last words of the parable, Jesus leaves every hearer with another charge. You're going to like this one. With another charge. He commands us all to be rich. All caps. Be rich. Rich. And if we combine these statements, we we can kind of end with a question. And this is kind of the question to ponder that I give to you this morning. How do I be rich and leave a meaningful legacy to those after me? How do I be rich and leave a meaningful legacy to those after me? That's the million-dollar question this morning, pun intended. Now, being rich actually has less to do with your bank account than you think and more to do with your heart and your values than you realize. In fact, the next several verses after this parable, Jesus uh, is going to level the playing field. So maybe, you know, like the, the rich, uh, the, the poor people hearing that story will be like, yeah, man, get him, Jesus, yeah, get that rich man. And Jesus just turns around, hold on, you're next, <laughs> you know, hold on, you're next. Verse, look, verse 22, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So life is not found in the abundance of possessions. It's not even found in food. It's not even found in, the, in, in clothing. Jesus is just going right after hum, basic human needs. Forget abundance. Being rich is not about having money in the bank or possessions stacked up, friends. There are poor people by the world's standards that are loaded in the kingdom. And there are people that are very, very rich by the world's standards that are dirt poor in the kingdom's perspective. Jesus came to turn this whole thing right side up. So how do I be rich and leave a meaningful legacy to those after me? So how do we do this? In those last few minutes, let's, let's maybe make it practical. How do I walk this out. How do I put one step in front of there? Because if we hear it, we get stirred, you know, we, we oh man, wow, what, what, it's a powerful word. Oh, what do I do? Oh, I don't know. See you next Sunday. No. <laughs> let, let, let's do something, all right? Luke uh, 12, so we're going to skip down a few verses. Luke 12, 31. Jesus kind of sums up this little passage with saying, instead, instead of what? Instead of everything I've just been talking about, instead of finding life in abundance of possessions or being anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, instead of all of that, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Father has actually given you an inheritance this morning, the kingdom. He died, and he put your name in his will so that you could have the inheritance that belongs to his son. The kingdom, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. You know, this is one of the primary ways that we're rich toward God. If you remember, there's several passages throughout the scripture. I'll name one, Matthew 25, when Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, when you give to the least of these, who do you do it to? Me. I take it personally. I take it personally. The Proverbs are littered with different passages that say, he who lends to the Lord, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will surely repay him. That when we give to the poor, he takes it personally. It's he receives it directly. And the question comes, okay, does this, what does this mean, man? You got me all tripped up here. Do I sell everything? Do, what does this mean? It doesn't say sell all your possessions. It says sell your possessions, give to these. It's kind of like investment. If, if we had some good stock, I'd say, hey, who wants to invest in the stock? It's your choice. Invest a dollar, invest $100, invest $100,000. It's based on what you think that stock is going to do. 
for you, right? And in the same way, Jesus is like, sell your possession. I'm not telling you 10%, 20%, 100%. Your call, like, you can pray about it. You can seek God. But, but what he does promise in the next verse is not legalistic. You shouldn't, you know, so you should sell to the degree that you just want to return. He says, you'll provide for yourself money bags that don't grow old. A treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'd like to think that as we walk this out, as we begin to, to step into it, you know what happens? Maybe your barn on earth gets smaller, but the angels are like, oh my gosh, that Jeremy West, we're going to have to get a bigger barn up here. <laughs> that dude's just, he's just trying to outgive God. <laughs> and, and it's impossible, but he's trying and the money bags in heaven just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Foundation for the future. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be. Like the old hymn, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up there beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't be at home in this world anymore. The Apostle Paul says it in this way. As for the rich, 1 Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich in this present age, that's probably actually all of us in the room. And you're going, uh, I don't think so. Watch this, just watch this video. It's like a minute long. So $25,000, where does that put you for an individual globally? You're in the top 2% of the world. And we go to another one. Let's bump it to 50. It's like median income, maybe of parts of Dallas. Where does that put you globally? You're in the top less than one half of 1% in the world. We'll go up 100. 100,000 a year for an individual, that's going to put you in the top 0.08%. And we can, y'all can stop the video. I know there's a lot of variables. There's cost of living and all those stuff. So this isn't, you know, perfectly accurate, but it's the ballpark. That you're rich. You and I are rich. Comparably to the world, we are rich in this present age, and we should be thankful. And this is what Paul tells young Timothy, the young pastor who's kind of insecure and was afraid to say things like what I'm about to say to you. He said, charge them. Who's them? That's you and me. Charge them. To not be haughty, not prideful, not selfish, not arrogant, not look on the rest of the world and be like, yeah. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, man. It's gone. It's fleeting. <laughs> I mean, if you had stock in Enron, you know, okay? Like, it's there. You're excited. The next day, poof, gone. It's uncertain. It's uncertain. Don't trust riches, but do, what do you do? But God who richly provides with everything to enjoy. Does he say it's wrong to be rich? No. Does he say you should feel guilty right now for having things? No, not at all. Does he say that you shouldn't enjoy what God's provided for you? No, not at all. He just says don't set your hope there. Don't be prideful in that place. Don't be haughty in that place. You should be so thankful. You should wake up every day getting out of your bed that has a pillow where you roll over and there's maybe air conditioning and you get into a car and you drive yourself to work and you should say, God, thank you. I don't deserve this. That would please the Lord. And not just that. Here's verse 18. They, that's you and I, are to do good and to be rich in good works. 
to be rich, to be generous and ready to share. There it is, be rich. How do you be rich? In good, work, in good works, in generosity. Verse 19, the same, man, this message on repeat. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Contrast that with what Jesus said earlier. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It does not even consist in food and water. What do you want to take hold of this morning? That which is truly life and how you do that is we're rich. We're rich in good works. We're rich in generosity. We're ready to share. The word there is actually eager to share. It's like I'm, my feet are in the blocks. Give me an opportunity. Not like, no, 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 God. If you say yes, God, then maybe. No, it's God, I'm, give, I'm ready, I'm giving, 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 giving. Tell me not to, tell me not to, tell me not to, tell me not to. I'm eager and ready to share. And this is what this looks like. Instead of building yourself a bigger barn or trying to contain all that you have, you, you get filled up to abundance. But then as the abundance overflows, that's generosity. It begins to fill up other people's cups. You have your family here, your community here, the poor here, the needy here. As God overflows in your life, then it overflows unto others. Verse 30, uh, sorry, Psalm 37, 25. This has become one of my life verses as a father, and I, I give it to you this morning. Verse 25, I've been old. I've been young, now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. doesn't say that, that life's not hard. It just says God is going to take care of you. God's going to meet you. If you trust him and you seek his kingdom, you walk in his righteousness, you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he's going to take care of you and he's going to add all else to you. That's what it's saying. And listen to this. He, the righteous man, is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Happy Father's Day. Because of his decision to be rich in good works, to seek first the kingdom of God, to pursue generosity, he leaves a legacy of children that are a blessing. That are a blessing because they learned from mom, from dad. They saw it in them. Dad didn't live selfishly for himself. He lived for others. And I want to be like him. I mean, we know because we live in a generation that it says, this isn't like a church thing or a Christian thing, it's just said by, by the world that we have a, a generation coming up that's selfish, that's entitled, that's self-centered, that's spoiled, that's covetousness, that's covetous. And God's calling us to be people that by the way that we live our life, that we're rich in good works, generous, ready to share, seeking first the kingdom, that our kids don't grow up to be that way. They grow up to be a blessing in the earth. And that is the inheritance that God has for you, the legacy that God has for you. So if you hear nothing else this morning, you've been checked out or asleep, please just elbow your neighbor. This is what I need. You to hear. You get the cliff notes, man. Set your hope on God, not the uncertainty of riches. And be radically generous. And if you do that, you will be rich in good works. And you will leave a legacy, a meaningful legacy to those after you. And maybe you're saying, man, I want to do that. But help me. Help me. I remember that verse. It says that, man, it's hard for the rich to enter into the ways of the kingdom. Help me. I feel stuck, Jeremy. I feel the grip. I'm telling you that I feel that too. My cable bill went up this, this last month after a year, and I'm like, oh, that's a first world problem. I mean, that's, okay, the grip is there. And so what do I do? And I just commend to us, just follow the example of the Apostle Paul. Philippians 4, this is what he said. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Do you know how to abound? Do you know how to be rich? Do you know how to have a lot? The apostle Paul did. He said, I learned 
how to be rich. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Wherever I find myself, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The hope is not in your willpower. It's not in your own strength. It's not in your own wisdom. It's not in your own ideas. Friends, this morning, the hope is in the gospel. The hope is in Jesus. Grace abounds in Jesus to actually live this way. Grace abounds in Jesus. Power and strength to be rich, to leave a powerful legacy. So run to Christ. Trust Christ. Allow him to fill you with his spirit. We're going to take communion here in a moment. And... um, I just want to share uh, for those of you, maybe there's some in the room that have not ever trusted Christ, who have not ever put their faith in Christ. And this morning, I want you to know God loves you. God sees you. He cares about you. He made you for a purpose. But sin, all we've been talking about, covetous, greed, lust, anger, all those things, it separates us from God. We know it separates us from God because it separates us from people. But Jesus came. God did not leave us there. Jesus came so that we might have life. He died on the cross as a sacrificial atonement for our sin so that we could be brought into relationship with God. So we could be in relationship with God and have peace and have life. And so he commands all people all over the world to repent, to turn to him, to trust him, and you'll be saved You'll be healed, you'll be restored, you'll be made new. And you'll have the power to do what we're talking about this morning, to live that kind of a life. So I want to just ask everyone to to bow their head, close their eyes, and just fix your attention on Jesus this morning. And if you're in the room and you've not trusted Christ with your life, I just want to ask you to just be bold as a sign to God this morning. Just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want you, I want to give my life to you today. Just raise your hand. And together, I want to invite us all just to pray this as a recommitment, whether it's the first time or it's been a long time, to trust Jesus. Repeat after me. Father God, I know that I need you, that I have sinned and have been separated from you but I trust you, Jesus. I believe that you love me, that you're the son of God, that you died on the cross for me so that I could be made new. Come make me new. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you can stand, communion servers are going to come forward and just encourage you to come forward and just receive what Jesus has done for you again this morning as the worship team leads us in worship. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear cause I am a child God, and I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child. I've chosen me, love has called my name, and I've been born again into your family, your blood flows through my veins, and 
Child of God. 